have a seat. Uh, you know, it's a good job we weren't in a spa in Switzerland. Because uh, in Switzerland, you have to take all your kit off. Um, yeah, we didn't go that far, I promise you. Yeah. Oh, it's so good to be with you. I'm so thrilled with you as a church and what you're doing here in Essex. You know, Jackie and I, uh, all of our kids are born in Essex. And we have five daughters, so we tease them a lot. They're Essex girls. And uh, we spent 15 years of our life here in Colchester. So we have a real spot, soft spot, I tell you, for this part of the world and, uh, and what you're doing here. And when you, when you sow your life into, into something, you know, just to see that there's some fruitfulness in the years that come on is such an incredible joy. So uh, I just want you to know that you have a really important place in my heart both this town that's going to be a city one day and uh, <laughs> and uh, you as a church. We feel very, very invested in you. Um, I want to talk to you about how to handle disappointments. How to handle disappointments. I don't know about you, um, but I face disappointment almost daily. How, how many of you have ever ordered a takeaway? You've gone and collected it. You dashed home. And there's something missing. I mean, how annoying is that? Even, even McDonald's can screw that up. And it's like, and you're, you're a dilemma. It's like the whole family's there, they're ready to eat, and you've got to make this decision. Do I go back for, for like the bit that is missing, which is going to cost me petrol and another 10 minutes there and then waiting for it and get home? Or do I say, oh, I'll blow it? Or do I ring them up and just give them a piece of my mind? It's like, you have ruined my entire evening because of your complete and total incompetence. How can you forget fries, burger and fries? It's like, oh, my gosh. And it's like, what do you do? And then, you know, have you ever been at a roundabout and you're behind a car? And he misses at least three opportunities to go. Not one, not two. It's like a triple whammy. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, and if your wife's in the car and you're a guy, you've got a comment. That is an unwritten law, ladies. If you're a guy, you have to comment on that driver. And she's fed up hearing your complaints anyway. Just be patient. Just be patient. I am patient. Three times. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh. We're facing disappointment almost daily. Fortunately, most of the time, we navigate those kinds of disappointments really, really quickly. Most of the time, you know, you know there's like that moment where you peak, <laughs> you know. I promise you, in disappointment, you're going to navigate two emotions, two primary emotions that you're always going to face when you face a disappointment. Here's the first one you're going to face. Anger. Anger. You know, there's that moment where it just flares up and suddenly you're just mad. And hopefully the anger doesn't last too long. But here's the second emotion that you're likely to handle when you're dealing with disappointment. And that is sadness. Just sadness. Something didn't happen that you were hoping was going to happen. And you're either going to get mad about it or you're going to get sad about it. Or you're going to do both. And so what I want to do is I want to read a story in the Bible where Samuel the prophet 
had to navigate both these emotions and had to navigate a huge disappointment in his life. Now, believe me, uh, over this whole uh, two years, some of us have had to handle some incredible disappointments. You know, like, like for me, for instance, you know, I, I resigned handing over a great church to my executive pastor, thinking I was going to have this wonderful itinerant ministry. Because people love me. It's like I had a year's worth of bookings. I had 10,000 pounds worth of BA flight tickets booked and everything. And then, you know, after five months of it going fantastic, you know, it all went down the toilet. It was like, what happened? You know, and it's like the first month you think, oh, that's, yeah, okay, you know, all right. Month one, month two, month three, BA are telling you, would you like a voucher? No, I'd actually like my money so that we can live. And, uh, you know, and you're sort of fighting your emotion, but your emotion is sometimes getting the better of you. And I I just remember having to process my disappointment, thinking, well, hang on a minute, God. I took a step of faith. I obeyed you. I did what you wanted me to do. Have you ever found out in life that sometimes obeying the Lord, it gets worse? Doesn't that suck? It's like you're Joseph, and you've just kept your integrity and ran away from Potiphar's wife. Now God's going to really bless you, isn't he? And you end up imprisoned. I say, what's that all about? What's that all about? You know, we sometimes think, yeah, obedience leads to blessing. Well, let me just rephrase that. Obedience leads to blessing eventually. (laughs) Nobody told me that when I was younger. It's like, oh, I just learned the phrase, obedience leads to blessing. Oh, I'll buy that one. What do I have to do? And it's like, wow, sometimes there's this gap between obedience and the fulfillment of the blessing. And navigating that gap is really tricky sometimes because it's like, well, hang on a minute, God. I thought you were going to do this and this didn't happen and we're disappointed. And you know what's even harder? It's even harder when you're disappointed with the Lord. It's like, it's like one of those things you don't even want to talk about, really, because you know you're not meant to be. But you feel it in your emotions. It's like, well, hang on a minute, God. I thought you were going to do this, but this didn't happen. I thought this was going to happen, but it didn't happen. And these emotions are very, very powerful. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope is all about expectations. It's about things that we desire to happen, that we long for. And when it's put off, your heart gets sick. It's like something goes on on the inside, in the inner man. And it's this whole thing about you're angry or you're sad, you're mad or you're sad, or you're both. It's like, wow. And how do we navigate that? Well, when the desire comes, of course, it's like a tree of life. It's like when the breakthrough comes, everyone talks about the breakthrough, don't they? Don't you get a little fed up sometimes with people talking about their break? Oh, good for you. Bless you. You know, fantastic. It's like, well, great. I want to know, how did you, between the breakthrough... You know, the great story, and over here when you were believing for it, I want to know how you handled that bit. Can you just, somebody tell me? 
can, can somebody tell me when you woke up and you just were, you thought the whole world was against you? How did you navigate that? You know, did you, did, were you singing, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm? You know, louder and louder. Was that you? You know, because sometimes I sort of look at myself and I think, come on, Peter. Come on, you've got you've to do something here. You've got to deal with this disappointment. It's real. You're facing it. And it's gripping you. <laughs> I've discovered this. Sometimes I talk to people about what they're hoping for, what they're wishing for. What are your expectations, you know? What are your expectations for your relationships? What are your expectations for your kids? What are your expectations for your marriage? What are your expectations for your church? What are your expectations for your future or the people you love who are significant in your life? And sometimes people say, oh, I've learned not to have expectations. Yeah, right. I don't believe that for a moment. I don't believe it for a moment. You know what I've discovered? If you tell me your disappointments, I'll tell you what your expectations were. Because every disappointment is an unfulfilled expectation. And I think sometimes in life, the process of maturity is about learning what's a real expectation that's rooted in faith and rooted in the promise of God. And what's a fantasy? That's an expectation I have, but isn't rooted in reality. And I need to learn to let that go. And just say, that is not really helping me. You know, I've talked to people sometimes where they... They talk about their future and they talk about what they're hoping for. And I say, but, but what are you doing now to prepare you for that future? Because I look at what you're doing now and I don't see that that is going to lead to that. But sometimes we need to make course corrections. Now, I'm all for movement because movement is good. But movement needs to lead, should sometimes have course corrections along the way. You should sometimes say, well, where is this road taking me? You know what I've discovered in life? It's in my book, by the way. You know what I've discovered in life? <laughs> how dumb am I, eh? I'm coming here and I didn't bring any books. How, how dumb is... I'm so disappointed with myself. <laughs> and it, it's, it's bad enough being disappointed in other people, but when you're disappointed in yourself, you have to live with you. That's not easy, is it? It's like, oh, my goodness. But, but, but in this book, I, I talk about how... When you're looking ahead at where you want to be, every decision in life on its own is not necessarily hugely significant. But every decision builds on the previous decision. And so what happens in life is you make a series of choices, and those choices actually, if you plot them, they start to point in a trajectory. And what you've got to do is you've got to learn to reflect from time to time on the choices that you've been making. And you've got to ask yourself the simple question, where is this series of choices taking me? What's the trajectory? That's what they do when they're planning a trip to the moon or to Mars. They, they, look, at, they look at, well, what's the trajectory of this thing? If we want it to end up there, what, what do we have to do here? And here's the thing. If it's one degree out here, it means you could miss your target there. Now, one degree is not significant if you make a course correction. But if you don't make a course correction, then you carry on on that trajectory and you miss where you're going to go. And I think the Christian life 
is often filled with course corrections. You know, this is the way, walking in it. The Lord speaks to us. He says, well, you made that choice, but come on. Pull it in. Rein it in. Deal with that attitude. Deal with that behavior. Deal with that assumption that you've been making here. It's not right. I think when we're angry, we always want to get back. It's like that guy who forgot my fries. <laughs> Bless you. You know, revenge is never far from anger. That's why the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. So you're allowed to be angry. Angry. It's a legitimate emotion. I grew up in a house where we weren't allowed to be angry. It was like, anger is bad. And everything got pushed in. But Paul says, be angry. It's actually an imperative in the Greek. It's a command. Be angry, but don't sin. In other words, own the emotion. Own how you feel. Own that this has impacted you in a very real way. But don't cross that line and sin. Well, if you, if you want to hurt the person and you want to get your revenge and you want them to be bad, yeah, you just cross the line. You just cross the line. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is, I'm angry, I'm disappointed, this is very real, it's had an impact on my life. I'm going to process this with God. And you have to process it first. You know, I think sometimes I hear Christians, yeah, he really disappointed me, bless him. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> Maybe there's four or five steps you need to take before you say bless him with sincerity of heart. You know what I mean? You know, like in Matthew 5 when Jesus says bless those who curse you. It's like I read that and I think kill me now. Kill me now. I can't live up to that. You know, bless those who curse you. You're kidding me? And that's the kingdom. But, but there's a process in between that. There's a process you go through where you come to the point where you genuinely say, I'm going to bless you. I know what you did to me. I know, I know what you thought you were going to do to me. But I'm going to bless you because I've resolved something in here. Do you get this? So let's look at this story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is an amazing story. Let me just give you a brief overview here. This is a story where Saul, King Saul, is told to go and kill the Amalekites. And the Amalekites, just to put it in perspective, this was a group of people who were very sneaky. When the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, the Amalekites were a group of people who followed them, but at a distance. And what they did was, they waited for the people who were weak, sick, or slow, or vulnerable, to get separated from the main group. Then they went in and killed them. And they took everything they had. And so the Amalekites were very, very sneaky people. And God remembered this. And he said, later on, King Saul, now you're in the land. Now you're in a place of strength. I remember what Amalek did. I want you to go and destroy the Amalekites. And so King Saul, he goes off on his little thing, has a battle with the Amalekites, defeats them, but keeps the best of everything. And God said, no, I want it all destroyed, but he keeps the best of the sheep and the oxen and spares King Agag. And uh, then God appears to Samuel and talks to him and says, you know what? Saul has not obeyed what I've commanded him. I regret making him king. Does that sound like God's disappointed? 
sounds like it to me. And uh, he says, I want you to go and confront him. And um, Samuel cries all night to the Lord. He's really, he's, he cries all night. He's disappointed, hugely disappointed. Now, now here's the thing you've got to remember is, you know, Samuel's got a reputation. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, Samuel grew, the Lord was with him. He let none of his words fall to the ground. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Can you imagine it? He let none of his words fall to the ground. Imagine being under the prophetic ministry of a man who gets it right 100% of the time. Not one word falls to the ground. That's why when Samuel was going to prophesy, everybody was scared. Because <laughs> if the man's going to bless you, you're, you're in for the blessing. But if he says something about your life that, that needs correction, it's like, whoa. Samuel's coming. In fact, in, in this very next chapter, in chapter 16, when he comes to the house of Jesse, all the elders of the city are scared. Samuel's coming. They don't know why he's coming. Not one word fell to the ground. And here's Samuel, and he's the guy who's anointed Saul and put him in as king at the command of God. And suddenly the guy that you put into power and into authority has now failed. And how, does that, how do you look? How does that reflect on your ministry, your prophetic ministry, your 100% ministry? Didn't see that one coming. And it's like, whoa. Because people are people. And people are complicated. Haven't you noticed that about yourself? <laughs> like, like some, sometimes I hear some of my friends say, Oh, you know, what's she like? Complicated. Well, I've discovered everyone's complicated. You know, like Paul in, in Romans 7, he was complicated. The things that I would not do, I do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. Can anyone in the room relate to that? It's like, wow, he's describing me. And so, what's that all about? The very thing you don't want to do, you do. And what you don't want to do, you do do. Because people are complicated. We sometimes don't know our secret fears. We sometimes don't know and understand our secret motivations. The Lord does, but we don't. And so what does God do? He puts you in a situation where it starts to come to the surface. And suddenly you start to see you. That, my friends, is scary. Seeing you for who you really are is scary. And then when you do see you for who you really are and you're actually, actually horrified at some of your own thoughts and your own feelings and your own outlooks, just remind yourself the Lord knew all that about you anyway and he really does love you. So God doesn't wait for all of that stuff to change before he commits to us and loves us. So Samuel goes along and he confronts King Saul. And there's this exchange. But I have obeyed the Lord. I have. <laughs> oh, what's all that bleating of sheep? And like, oh, oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we spared the best, obviously. But that's not what God said. And sometimes we want to keep the best of the old life. When God wants to crucify all of it. Because it has the same root. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's got the same root. What you think is good doesn't match up to God's version of goodness. 
And we want to keep the old. And, uh, and Samuel confronts him. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Behold, rebellion is as witchcraft. It, it, there's this confrontation. And then suddenly we get this bit. So let's pick up the story from here. We're in verse 32 here. Then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. <laughs> and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. This guy should be a diplomat, shouldn't he? But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. Now listen to this. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in, Gal, in Gilgal. Do you think there was a little bit of an anger issue there? It doesn't say he killed him. It doesn't say, you know, <clears throat> revenge. This is, this is chainsaw massacre, X-rated. You, you couldn't make a Hollywood movie of this. Well, you probably could today. But 25 years ago, you couldn't have done. He hacked him. He's like, and your hands go flying here, hand goes flying there, you know, a leg here. It's like, it's graphic, isn't it? He hacked him in pieces. Because when you get disappointed, you get angry. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? It's like, it's like, can you imagine the trauma of that moment? But also the impact of that moment. It's like the guy is absolutely covered in blood now. It's like, anyone want to ask any questions? <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> huh. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted he'd made Saul king over Israel. He was angry. He was sad. This is a great prophet of God who knew how to commune with God, who knew how to hear God. He knew how to live in the place of intercession and worship. But he had to handle his disappointment. <clears throat> how did he deal with it? Let me give you four things this morning. I think it's going to help you. In order for Samuel to move forward, he had to cut himself off from the past. He never went to see Saul till the day of his death. Sometimes we have to cut ourselves off from the past. Sometimes there are people in your world where the best thing you can do is cut it off. We have a young lady in our church. She's late 20s. I won't tell you her name. She's from Iran. And when her father, who's a general in the Iranian army, found out that she was a Christian... He beat her so badly, she was three months in hospital. She's lost partial sight in one eye. Took her three months to recover. Her mother was so distressed. Mother's not a Christian. 
She's a Muslim. She helped her escape. She got a flight to Turkey. In Turkey, she met her cousin, took her cousin's passport, got a flight to Denmark where she was arrested for traveling on a false passport, applied to be a refugee, waited for three years in Denmark to get refugee status. They said, no, we're sending you back to Iran, where she certainly would have died. So a friend of mine who's a pastor smuggled her out of Denmark into Germany, paid a smuggler. She spent three days without food, without water, crossed the English Channel, nearly died on that journey, ended up in the UK, and now is in a detention center where she's allowed out during the day. She goes online every day, every week rather. She goes online. She translates Bible studies into Farsi. There's about four or five people who watch online because the Iranian government can spot who's listening. But if they hear a recording later, around about two to 3,000 people tune into that Bible study. Within a week, within seven days, nearly two to 3,000 people have listened to it. But in order for her to live, she's had to cut herself off from the past. That's not, that's not easy. Cutting yourself off from the past, cutting yourself off from things where people have just made their choices. You know, listen, divorce is never easy. God's heart is never for divorce, but there are some relationships that are to so toxic, divorce is the best option. Where, where husbands are beating wives or where, where stuff is going on. It's so destructive to our humanity and our dignity that sometimes walking away is the best thing you, do, you can do. And you cut off from that. Listen, I've been doing pastoral work for 40 years. I'm shocked sometimes at what some people have to live through. Is it disappointing? Hugely. Does God want it? Is God disappointed? Of course he is. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, God has called us to peace. God has called us to peace. Not to warfare. Not to fighting all the time. He's called us to peace. Where in your life do you just need to let go of some stuff? Come on. You know, when I followed Jesus and I moved here to Colchester, I was 22 years of age. My father, he virtually didn't speak to me for three years. He certainly didn't come to my wedding. And I had to just, in a sense, I had to cut off for a season until he was receptive and he, until he was ready to listen to me as an adult. Because as a 22-year-old, what do you know about life? That was his attitude. What do you know about life? I said, well, not as much as you. But it's my life. You made your choices in life. I'm making my choices in life. And all I'm asking from you is the respect and the freedom to make those choices. And time will tell if they're right or wrong. Just like with your life. Well, you didn't like me saying that. I thought I was pretty good for a 22-year-old. <laughs> but later on in life, you know, when my father was in his 80s, he said, son, I'm really glad for the choices that you did make. <laughs> well, that was 25 years later. You know, does obedience lead to blessing? Yes, eventually. <laughs> Put that in there, will you? Eventually. Here's number two. I love this one. God is never hostage to the disobedience of anyone. He always has a recovery plan. God is bigger than your disappointment. Don't you love that? God is never hostage to your disobedience. 
Judas was called to be an apostle in exactly the same way that Matthew was and Peter was and James and John were. He was called exactly the same way. Jesus said in John's gospel, have I not chosen you 12? He didn't say, have I not chosen you 11? And I don't know where the other guy came from. He chose 12. He appointed 12. He designated 12. But one did not respond to the grace of God. Was it disappointing? Yes, But God wasn't hostage to that. He had a Paul waiting as one born out of due time, Paul describes it. You know what I love about God's plan B? Is that God's plan B can be better than plan A. There's a whole group of theology out there that says, well, once you've missed plan A, that's it. There's God's perfect will. And once you're out of his perfect will, yeah, you're stuffed. Oh, that sounds redemptive, doesn't it? The whole point of the gospel is that God redeems. He makes something beautiful out of something that's a mess. Don't forget, David was God's second choice. There's a thought. The Lord said to Samuel, this is chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king amongst his sons. Can you imagine Samuel? Here he is. He's just, he's crying, he's sobbing. He's let out his anger. You know, killed Agag, let out his anger. I don't know how much better he felt for doing that. Just killed a man. And now he's sad. Now he's mourning. He's just crying. He's sobbing. He's he's crying out to God. And God comes along and says, how long are you going to do that for? (laughs) You're right. How long are you going to do that for, seeing as I've rejected him? I've made my decision. I've made my decision. I've provided for myself a king amongst Jesse's sons. Here's the problem here. Grief and sadness locks you into the situation. See, Samuel's here and God's already here. He says, what are you doing there? I'm here. What are you doing there? I've already got a guy and the guy is here and you're still there. Why are you there instead of being here? And so many times we get locked into our grief and our sadness and our disappointment. We forget that God is never hostage to somebody's disobedience. He moves on in his plan. He moves on in his purpose. And he invites you to do the same. (laughs) Point number three. Don't allow your grief to turn into self-pity. It will dull your spirit. It'll dull your spirit. Do you know for the first time this prophet got it wrong? He turned up to the house of Jesse and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Uh -uh." For the first time in 30 years of ministry of getting it 100% right, he gets it 100% wrong. Not only that, God has to bring all the sons and say, no, 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 no. 
Because what God is doing is retuning his prophetic ability by allowing him to see what it isn't in order for him to see what it is. And so many times when you get angry and when you get locked into a spirit of revenge or you get into locked into a spirit of sadness, it dulls your prophetic edge. You can't see what God is up to. God has already moved ahead of the game because he's never hostage to anybody's disobedience. He is free to choose whomever he wills. And the whole point is he wants you to be in tune and in step with him. Well, how long are you going to stay there? How long are you going to be disappointed over a failed marriage? How long are you going to be disappointed over a church where it didn't work out? You thought, this is the place where I got ministry and it didn't work out. Well, how long? You get to decide. But God's inviting you to step into his plan and into his purpose. That requires you opening up your spirit again. Oh, but I don't know if I'm ready for that. Nobody feels ready for that. It's a step of faith. It's a step where you have to climb over yourself. There was a young lady in our church. She'd been a student at the Bible college I was teaching at. She served as my personal assistant for over a year. She was brilliant. And then she went back to Romania as a missionary. She served there for about five years. And then we were back in England at the time, and they weren't treating her very well. And I said, just come to England. This is a girl who's 27 years of age, and she slept on the floor, because that's, that's how they treat missionaries. Well, you're just a missionary. You can sleep on the floor. I remember when we went there, we bought her a mattress. I said, you're not doing this. And they, they just didn't treat her well, so we took her to England. I said, just have some time in England to recover. And, and while she was there in England, my wife and I were talking, and we had another friend of ours. I've got permission to tell this story, by the way. And uh, this friend of ours, Ken McGreevy, he had a son called Tim. And my wife said, wouldn't she do well with Tim? And uh, he was well into his 30s. So I rang up Ken. I said, hey, Ken, we've got a lovely young girl, missionary girl in our church. I think she'd be perfect for your son. And uh, it was Ken's dream that his son would get married. And he said, Peter, he goes, the guy, he's, he's given up on all that. He's never going to ask her out. I said, well, give me his mobile. I'll, I'll give it to her. So I remember going to her. <laughs> I said, Hey, do you remember, do you remember Kevin McGreevy's son? Oh, yeah, yeah, he came to the Bible college one time. Yeah, nice guy. I said, he is a nice guy. (laughs) You know where this is going, don't you? He's he's got a great calling on his life. Um, I think it'd be great if you you went out on a date with him. She looked at me. Now, now you have to understand, there was a lot of trust here. I I was like a dad to this girl, so... A lot, a lot of trust. And she said, okay, you can give him my number. And I said, yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) He's had so much disappointment in his life that it's just not going to happen. So I've got his phone number here for you to call him. And she looked, I've never seen anybody more offended (laughs) at a suggestion in my entire life. 
She said, what did you say? I said, this is his phone number so that you can call him and arrange a date. She said, I am Romanian. I am a woman. This will happen over my dead body. And I thought, okay, I said, okay, I'll just leave it there. And I, I just exited the room as quickly as I could. Just, you know, did not want to be around. And then two days later, she came up to me and she looked at me and she said, I just want you to know I stepped over my dead body. Oh, <laughs> that was brilliant. And they went on a date and they liked each other instantly. And six months later, they're married. And now they have two kids and they're pastoring a church. Listen, don't allow your grief to turn into self-pity. Just because it didn't happen the way you hoped it did. Oh, poor me. Boo-hoo. Listen, we've all got self-pity stories. All of us. We've all got boo-hoo stories. We do. Because that's life. But you know, don't stay there. Don't park yourself there. Don't let grief turn you into that person where you miss the next thing that God is doing. You know, there were things when I was leading a church in Colchester that were hugely disappointing for me about myself, about people around me. Hugely disappointment. I'll tell you one thing that isn't disappointing. The Roberts family. (laughs) What? Just an outstanding family. Just an outstanding family. With outstanding kids and outstanding grandkids. Just and, and it's like there are diamonds, there are gems, there are things along the journey. And you think, was it worth it? And then you look at people like that and you say, yeah, 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 it was. And you just, you move on. You've got to temper your grief with an understanding that God is bigger. Listen, you're allowed to cry your tears. You are. I've cried so many tears over the years. I've cried so many tears. Get a tissue. Have a good old sob. Listen, eat a liter of your favorite ice cream. You know what I mean? Put on Sleepless in Seattle. Do something that's going to help you. Just get through that moment and then realize God is bigger. He's bigger. (laughs) Here's my last point. Fill your horn with oil and go. I love that. Fill your horn with oil. You know, oil in the Bible, it's, it's a very beautiful symbol. You know, the, the olive oil. The only way you get olive oil is to crush an olive. It's brutal. I've been to Israel. I've seen the whole process. It's a brutal process. But the oil, you can use it for light. You can use it for healing. You can use it for anointing. It's the presence and power of the Spirit of God. And, and here's the thing. We leak. We've got to fill our horn with oil again. We've got, to, we've got to be intentional to fill our lives with the Spirit of God. Fill it in a way 
where you are empowered to forgive people who disappointed you. It's, it's not that you do it out of your own resource even. It's just that when your horn is filled with oil, suddenly you've got the power and strength of the Holy Spirit within you who empowers you to forgive. The Holy Spirit reminds you, hey, look what you've been forgiven. Look what God let you off of. Look how he's used your life. Now I'm asking you, bless this person. And you just forgive them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In his authority. You don't do it in your name. When I bless, I don't bless in the name of Peter Prothero. Who wants that blessing? I bless in the name of Jesus. That's the blessing we want to release over people's lives. I'm just now the conduit. I'm the vessel. The Spirit of God has filled me. And I want to align my thinking and align my emotions and align my life life with what God is doing. And when I do that, I find I recover. You know, in Luke 24, 21, I'll just close with this. Luke 24, 21. There's two men on the Emmaus Road, and they're sad. They're sad. They're talking about all the events in Jerusalem. And suddenly a man draws close. He's drawing close, and he starts walking alongside them. He says, what are you talking about? While you walk, and you look so sad. Look at him and they say, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And it's like a pantomime, isn't it? It's Jesus! He's beside you! It's like, I want to shout out to them. The Bible says their eyes were holden and they couldn't see him. You know the word there in Luke 24 16, their eyes were holden, they couldn't see it was Jesus. It's the Greek word kratio. It literally means this, to lay hands on somebody so that you now have power over them. And the enemy wants to have power over your vision so that in your pain and disappointment, you don't see Jesus. You just see your disappointment. You just see the people who let you down. You just see the circumstances but you don't see Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. He's right there. He's right there in your disappointment. He's there in the valley of the shadow of death. He's there at the table in the presence of your enemies. He's right there. They say to Jesus, we had hoped. We had hoped lost our hope now. Jesus starts to talk to them. And then it's, it's like he climbs in their face a little bit. Fools. It's like, <laughs> Fools and slow of heart to believe. It's like, whoa. Can you imagine a stranger calling you a fool? You idiot. Don't you remember? Beginning at Moses, he begins to unpack all the scriptures concerning himself. You imagine that Bible study on that road with Jesus. Hey guys, have you forgotten about Abraham when he went to offer up Isaac? God had a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket, and out of that came a blessing on Abraham. Do you remember Moses when he lifted up the serpent in the 
looking at the serpent. Do you remember the Passover lamb where the blood was applied and the angel of death passed over because there was a sacrifice on behalf of others? And Jesus is just talking about all these pictures and suddenly it begins to dawn on them. Wow, this was God's plan. This was God's purpose. God knows what he's doing. And in the end, they, they say to this stranger, can you just stay with us? Can I eat? Can you just stay? And Jesus makes out like he's going to go on because Jesus wants to see what kind of hunger is in our hearts. And sometimes we don't recognize Jesus when he comes as another person. When he comes as a pastor or a worship leader, or he comes as somebody who just visits your home and says, hi, I was just thinking about you this week. That's Jesus knocking on your door because Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of my disciples, you do to me. Have you ever thought that the person who rang you and just tried to encourage you was Jesus coming to you and just wanting to help you? And then they go in there. They have that wonderful breaking of bread. Suddenly, they see who he is. And as soon as they see him, he disappears. Because as soon as God restores faith in your life, you never need to see. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not yet seen. I love that comment. Didn't our hearts burn within us? They did an eight-mile journey to Emmaus. They were so excited about Jesus. They got up and they walked another eight miles back to Jerusalem. We got to tell somebody. We got to tell somebody that the hope of Israel has been fulfilled. We don't need to live in our grief. Come on, let's get filled with oil. I want to say to some of you here today, come on, don't live with your disappointment. Let me just do a couple of things here. Let me say something to you. I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, you've actually handled disappointment well. And even where you were a little hard on yourself because of some of the things in the past, it was like some criticisms got into you and pierced you. But I feel the Spirit of God say to me, this woman had tell you, you're never going to be hostage to the things of your past. By the way, when I'm prophesying over people, let me tell you this, there's at least two or three other people where the Spirit of God is saying to them, this is for you too. Take it. You're not stealing her prophecy. You're responding to the Spirit of God. And I just, I just feel this as well. There's going to be abundant blessing. It's going to be abundant blessing. Even, even things that you've forgotten about and left with the Lord, God hasn't forgotten. He's watching over those things to perform them. It's like Jeremiah with the old almond tree. There's a blossoming that's taking place. God is watching over his way to, to do it in your life. That's going to happen. That's going to happen.
Jeremiah 20, 11, 29, 11 is what came into my spirit when I looked at you. I know the thoughts I have towards you, the thoughts of peace. I tell you, the Lord isn't angry, neither is in disappointment. But then there's a good plan. And uh, along the way, God is going to what you've cried out for. You didn't You didn't know you were crying out for that specifically. You cried for help, but the Lord is going to send some people that's just going to help you along the journey. There's going to be a rebuilding. There's going to be a restoring. There's going to be a refreshing. you've heard that in your life. I don't know how many times you've heard affirmation and you've heard a well done. But I want to tell you as a, an older man that God's heart towards you is one of rejoicing. And uh, God wants you to hear thank you. Thank you for the choices you made that were difficult at the time. Thank you for what you said yes to. Thank you for going on the journey. stand to our feet. Well, I want you to know, just as a much, much older man now, just had my 67th birthday, <laughs> I really have a great love in my heart for you as a congregation honor Barry and Sarah. I honor their family, the sacrifices they've made. Um, right now, I just want to pray for you all just to be filled with oil. That's a very simple prayer. I want the Holy Spirit to come and do something for you. Um, in a way, in your heart, if you still got some anger with somebody or something, or you've got some sadness, to acknowledge it you're allowed to but you've got to process it don't let it make you bitter don't let it grip you 
Don't let it make you live with unforgiveness in your heart. Listen, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. Don't do that. Take this moment right now in the presence of the Lord because the grace of God is here in a very special way. The presence of God is here in a special way to release you, to help you, to empower you because God's over here. He's, he's up to something and He wants you with Him. He wants you in those next steps. So Father, right now in Jesus' name, we take authority over all those disappointing episodes in life that have tried to push us down, tried to rob us of our destiny and our future, tried to rob us of joy. And right now in Jesus' name, we're saying and declaring that you are bigger. We're saying that you are better. We're saying that you're not hostage to those people's choices, that even the 10 spies couldn't rob Joshua and Caleb of their destiny. You gave them the strength at 80 of men at 40. You kept them, you preserved them. They didn't have to experience loss in any way because you just added extra. And I pray for every person in this room who feels like they've lost years or they've lost people or they've lost opportunities. <laughs> in Jesus' name right now, I speak to those situations. And as the God of redemption, as the God who preserves, as the God who watches over, restore, restore, restore. Restore the years that the canker worm and the locusts have eaten. Restore, make the valley of Acor a door of hope for people. Make the place of disappointment be the place of fruitfulness. May the place of pain be the place of rejoicing. May the place of rejection be the place of acceptance. Spirit of God, do your work and just fill your people right now. Fill them with your Spirit. Let the oil come, Lord, from head to toe, in every arena of life, in relationships, in our professional areas, in, in every arena. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with your abiding presence, we pray. In Jesus' name.